Welcome to the Camp Vibes podcast. This is Christian, your host. Um, I apologize for not posting a podcast in a while. Um, shortly after my last podcast, I had a kid uh, in November named Scout. He is seven months old. Um, and pretty much nothing else in the world has happened since then. <laughs> uh, no, it has been crazy. Um, COVID-19 has had a big impact on camping in general. Someone said to me that um, what sort of November and December is to retail shopping, uh, summer is to Christian camping. You know, we we rely heavily on, on summer camp and uh, it's just been crazy. Um, I was furloughed for a season. We got our Paycheck Protection Program loan. And I've been in that mode trying to figure out what to do with camp. Uh, We decided to cancel all of our normal overnight camps. However, um, we are planning on running a day camp for local kids, uh, maybe anywhere between 60 to 80 campers and a really small staff. The reason why we want to do that is obviously just to continue the ministry of Frontier Ranch and Mission Springs, but also we want to just be um, you know, there in this community and for these kids that have been stuck in their homes. Um, and it's just really been a crazy season for camping in general. I wanted to shift the focus of the podcast uh, today and to have a conversation about racism, uh, about what it's like to be uh, black working in camp. And uh, I invited a friend of mine who's worked at camp for the last couple summers, a young man by the name of Monte, uh, camp named Cinnamon. Uh, He is an African-American man who's worked at camp and and loves camp and also has a voice uh, to our staff and to sort of campers. And he's a really smart guy who had um, just a lot to say in this conversation, really wise words. And I I think it's a time for uh, us as white people, if you're listening, uh, to listen um, and to educate ourselves. And he will go further into that. Uh, It's a great conversation. And I'm grateful for Cinnamon uh, for taking the time to do it. So enjoy and hopefully you get some more regular podcasts now that um yeah life is opening up a little bit um but enjoy all right uh welcome to the podcast i'm here with my friend monte better known as cinnamon uh cinnamon first time on a podcast yeah first time on a podcast right on man um Cinnamon, tell tell everybody how you got your camp name. Man, so um, at the time, um, I had like these crazy like freeform dreads, um, and <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the Apple jo- uh, Applejack's cin- uh, cereal box, um, mm-hmm. but they have this cinnamon stick, um, and he has dreads. He's very skinny and lengthy, just like I am. Um, and then there was like another story where I was just like, uh, I, there was another, uh, junior staff named Cha Cha, good friend of mine from Sacramento. Um, 
him and I uh, were just like early in the morning when like no campers were up eating apple jacks and stuff like that. So um, it, it was just we're two two different sides to it, uh, but mainly because I'm look just like the guy from the apple jacks cereal box. Now what? You and I know this, but what's what's your real camp name? What's what's the one you want to go by? <laughs> well, my name is Monte, uh, Monte McDaniel. Um, that's the that's the real real. Oh wait, wait, wait! No, I'm no, tripping. No. <laughs> what's your what's I'm your thinking, real camp I'm name? Where's my real name? Slim Reaper. That's the, the Slim name. Reaper. <laughs> yes, aka the Walking Bucket. Um, <laughs> I remember that. I remember that night when we were like, you know, if you could go by one camp name, what would it be? And you said Slim Reaper, and I was like, oh, I love that, dude. <laughs> yes, it, it, it is. Um, if anybody doesn't know and hasn't seen me on the the court, especially on the little, you know, uh, what is it, eight feet courts? I get <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. You Don't do get buckets. <laughs> I remember when your cabin that I think that was week eight, the one with like, you know, Dallas and yes. uh, Sean, what was that kid's name that just schooled me in a game of one-on-one? Oh man. I'll, it'll come to me eventually. That yeah. was, that was oh, the no. hardest loss, hardest loss of basketball in my frontier ranch career. So <laughs> I got beat like, literally last, five to nothing. <laughs> Just Euro steps to the basket. <laughs> just oh, it was, it was so bad. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's it's been a year later since you worked at camp. You graduated, but you're in a weird kind of position. You graduated college at only 18, right? Yes, sir. Tell me about that. How does that work, and how can we be as smart as you? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I graduated. Uh, from Sacramento City College uh, last year, spring uh, 2019. Um, I got my uh, my degree in interdisciplinary studies, concentration in social sciences. Um, and then this year, um, just yesterday, oh, oh, sorry, two days ago, um, I got my uh, bachelor's degree in communication studies. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, basically I started by in, in the sixth grade, taking college classes, um, you know, just this small, like, I was like, like almost six feet then, um, you know, me being like seven feet now. Um, but yeah, uh, sixth grade, um, just in the classes and I did that same thing semester after semester, started off taking one class like every, every year. And then as I got into high school, I would take two to three more classes, and then I'll just take uh, two to three more classes from different colleges. Um, and then that just added up with credits and units. And because I was, you know, knocking out all of these, uh, these college courses, I didn't have to take any, uh, I knocked out a lot of my high school courses. So um, I, it opened up my schedule a lot more. Right. Um, so like me and in you, the ninth grade, I didn't have, I didn't have you're to. You're at a charter that. school, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's called the Met Sacramento High School. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So you technically graduated high school and college all in the same week? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. Oh, man, that's amazing. Congratulations, dude. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, 
I know you were applying a lot of places, but you did eventually get into a grad school, right? So is that the plan still to go off to grad school or what has changed with all the COVID stuff? So yeah, the plan is to go to grad school. Um, it's a master's program in athletic training. Um, and I just uh, got my room assignment for there. So they're, op they're opening back up in the fall. Um, cool. And I got uh, a pretty cool roommate, got to meet him. And um, yeah, um, but yeah, they're opening uh, up the university, which is uh, good in a sense. Hopefully it clears up after the summer and uh, yeah. Yeah. How's uh, how's being on lockdown and and quarantine? Has that been all right, or how you been doing? Uh, I can say this: I've learned to appreciate um, like going out and like being with my friends a lot more. Like I'm just like really like. There's just like I love my family, um, but there's just sure. times where they just, you know, I just need to be away. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just been a lot of, <laughs> of board games, um, one on ones in the in the uh, playing pickup at the the basketball court in, in the driveway. Um, you and your dad? And uh, yeah, uh, me, my dad, and my cousins. So we all live together. So right on. Yeah, it's. Uh, a, a, a big ball in the family. My dad is like the LeVar ball of the family. And I'm just like, you know, Lonzo ball. <laughs> you, is that but, who uh, you want to be? You want to be Lonzo? Um, not necessarily. Uh, people say, <laughs> you know, I have that Mamba mentality when I play. I don't know. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, recipes. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, Man, yeah. What a crazy year. Oh, crazy. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I told I told a friend of mine, I was like, I think Kobe was the, the glue that held the world together. <laughs> um, it, seriously, it feels like that. It's so funny because, like, in my lifetime, I've had, you know, these pivotal moments of, like, I remember where I was with, like, 9-11, right? Or I remember where I was when this event happened. But those are, like, spaced out over the course yeah. of three or four years. It's like, I remember where I was when Kobe's you know, I hear the news about Kobe. And then like two months later, I remember where I was when I heard about Rudy Gobert. You know, mm. I remember where I was when I saw the first, the Ahmad Arbery, you yeah. know, killing. Like, and then it just keeps going. And yeah. it's like, I've never had a year where I have all those, I remember where I was type moments. Um, yeah. The Kobe thing, man, that was like, I that hit, was that, crazy. Yeah, that hit hard for sure. Like yeah man uh i remember just like first hearing the news i was just so i was just dis in disbelief i think i just got right. out of the shower and i just thought you're i'm like you're joking he doesn't die legends don't die <laughs> what are you talking about and then yeah. i was just like oh and then his uh the daughter uh Gigi. yeah i was in shambles i had to take a break from like everything and like reevaluate totally. like like life i was I, at that moment i was just like yo, this is like, this is, this could happen at any moment. I'm not in a helicopter, but, you know, yeah. life can end at, you know, any moment, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah. I think, I think for a lot of people, especially NBA fans or fans of who Kobe was outside of the game, I mean, that death had a huge impact on, on people just sort of reevaluating life. I, I, I know I follow a lot of campers, and even campers who really didn't, 
get to experience the full Kobe, probably never saw him live or maybe even play. Like even it, they were touched by it. They felt something. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that was a uh, definitely a, a pivotal moment for I think people realizing the beauty of life and how it can just be taken away at any moment. Mm -hmm. um, it, and that was just the start of a crazy year. So, yeah, right. <laughs> um, all right. So let, let's talk a little camp and then we'll, we'll sort of move forward in the conversation from there. Um, sure. You, you've been a junior staff for two summers. That's I tried right. to convince you to work on camp staff this summer, but uh, you know, you're too smart for us. You'll, you'll come back. <laughs> you'll, you'll be on staff eventually. I will. You best believe it. All right. Um, you have been one of my favorite junior staffers, always uh, willing to do whatever at camp, always having a good attitude, even in the dish room, um, which is always a struggle for people. <laughs> I think one thing about you is that your personality just, I mean, literally campers flock to you. Um, mm. You have a personality that I think all campers are drawn to. And I, I see it especially during like games on the field or whenever there's free time and you're, you're hooping every camper that wants to hoop is like, all right, I'm, if Cinnamon's playing, I'm playing, you know, <laughs> um, what, tell me about your camp experience over these last two years. Tell me what you, what you love and what keeps bringing you back. Man. Um, what real, I, what really brings me back, um is the fact that uh the staff is just just one of a kind like literally one of the kindest group of people i've ever experienced like like i've ever like met and that goes a long way because it's just like takes a for me personally it takes a really long time for me to get to like trust someone um mm. and like really get to like bond with but with you guys at Frontier Ranch, it was just like, oh, yeah, these guys. Like, as soon as, like, that first training week hit, I was just like, Ooh. oh, yeah, this is, this is family right here. Um, mm -hmm. Playing basketball with, uh, with Tyler, Tyler Waters, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, balling him up a bit. Uh, don't, don't show him this. Um, but uh, <laughs> so uh, just playing basketball with you guys, um, Oh man, I've always been like that guy to like show my goofiness like publicly um, and just like yeah. always just kind of show all my energy. And so this was like a great opportunity. There was plenty of opportunities for me to kind of, you know, show that whether there was on the basketball court, um, in free time, um, in uh, the uh, like whether it was like worship or just like, you know, kind of showing my emotion and this like Frontier Ranch gave me a place to do that because in regular right. church yeah you know you have your you know your youth ministry and you can kind of you know act wild but a lot of the times it's a lot more you know serious but with frontier ranch it's like a party every day you know it's like um <laughs> it's like no it's like it really was you know you do have your moments where you're um you're uh you're serious and you're with the uh with the bible um sure and you're like super like um kind of connected like on a serious level with your campers and that's one of the reasons why I came back is because I, I was making um an influence on these campers and especially I was just like 
that first year, I was just like, the like I'm a miss like I almost cry when I like uh when my campers left. And like I've never had that, like I've never had a a moment where I cried with a, a bunch of kids that I just met this week. I was like, please don't go. And so um yeah, for me, it was just like the fact that I made a, such a strong relationship with the people there, whether it was the campers or the staff. Uh, and for me, it was it was it was a, a big thing of both. Um, and and you guys just made it home for me. I always call Frontier Ranch a, a home away from home. So, um, well, yeah, I mean, you you are so much a part of the Frontier family, even in your limited weeks that you were there. I remember when you pulled up and I I think your dad was wearing a King shirt and I just immediately yeah. started talking King's <laughs> ball. <laughs> yes. Uh, I was like, I, I love these people. They're King's fans. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I had had a prior relationship with Cooper, um, your, your buddy Cha-Cha. And, and so mm -hmm. I know he sort of was like, oh, you're going to love this guy. And you, you came in and I think you stole the hearts of so many people. I remember that last day of your first year where you said goodbye. I mean, I've never seen somebody cry that hard at camp. <laughs> and it, it, what it, the conversation later between me and Soli was, dude, I mean, Cinnamon, like, he felt like he was at home here, you know, like it was so emotional for you to leave and it made everybody else around you emotional because we're like, we love you, Cinnamon. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, I I remember that um, that moment. Uh, I always like have that in the back. Every time I think of Frontier Ranch, that's like the one thing I think about. And it was so like <laughs> there was two th there was two emotions for me. One, it was just like, yo, I am like going to miss like miss these guys and stuff like that. And I'm like so overwhelmed with the the um, the memories I've made over time. And sure. it was like also a traumatic experience because I'm like, bro, I gotta leave these guys. This I know. is like my yeah. family. It's like a, you know, kind of just like, um, all right, bye. Uh, but like, oh man, it was, it was just like, and then you guys came and just hugged me. Oh, you, oh don't get y'all. <laughs> you gotta I, start making me tear it up. <laughs> I've become like super desensitized to the that moment you're feeling where like you feel like you have this family and then right at the very end you're like you're 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 almost stripped of your family like i have to go home what are you talking about i'm so close <laughs> to these people and you know i see people who's who've had that first summer experience they they have that moment of like i can't believe i'm leaving these people whereas me i'm on my seventh summer and i'm like all right guys get out of here i gotta clean you know <laughs> So I, 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 all that moment of you uh, leaving your first time, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that because I knew that camp meant something to you. Um, you know, I, I had, I sent you a text just kind of with some things that I wanted to ask you, but did you ever, did it ever sort of, I'm sure it did occur to you, like you're one of the only black people on staff. Did, was that ever something that crossed your mind often? Um, yeah. Um, and, and it's still crossed my, this, my mind to this day. Um, yeah. My, my parents always kind of like joke about it. Like, yeah. So, um, you know, who, wait, how, how many black people are, are uh, at, at camp? Um, I was like, you know, there, you know, there's a couple black people. Um, right. but like, 
for me, um, that experience was kind of normal. I knew what to kind of expect. Um, and it was like, I, w- I was already kind of comfortable. Um, and because for me, this, this is kind of like uh, my kind of story. Like growing up, I like from the moment I was in elementary school, I never really had a, a super um, like put like particular like race out of school it was super diverse yeah and well so, you grew like, up sacramento's pretty diverse in pretty, general pretty diverse um yeah and so and that carried in and at the church scene as well um and so i would essentially i would like go to these like uh camps at uh for like the the youth camps um and i would be like the only black pe- person there mm-hmm. but they would they would love me uh I would fit in so well because I would just, you know, show my heart. I always mm-hmm. wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm, uh, I'm a, just a person that kind of um, is super compassionate. Um, and so, like, they saw that and they didn't see me any different. Um, right. and, it, it just, and so, like, when I went to Frontier Ranch, it wasn't uncomfortable for me. Um, and it, it was just kind of like, okay, this is just like, you know, my church, you know. This is like right. family. Um, and so um, I, I, I don't really uh, kind of see that as an off thing. Um, you know, we yeah. had drumline there, but, um, you know. Sure. I think yeah. the reason why I asked that is like, I, I don't, I do not know the answer to this, but in my seven years, you know, maybe we've had one or two or three African-American staff members and but our campers, we, we have a lot of black campers. I'd say we have a pretty diverse camper base, but predominantly our staffs over the years are maybe 80% white. And then, you know, mm-hmm. a couple different races right. in that 20%, yeah. you know, but camp almost feels like it's a very white thing, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I don't, and if you don't go to camp as a kid, you don't experience camp as a kid, well, then there's, you don't ever have a desire to work at camp. You know what I mean? And so then the only way to hopefully recruit a, a, a black person to work at camp is through maybe colleges, but we're going to predominantly white Christian colleges, um, you know, and then it's like, on the off chance, you know, somebody that knows somebody that comes to camp. And so I I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but you know, how would you, this wasn't a question I texted you, sorry, but Mm -hmm. how would you encourage me or what advice would you give me to try and hire more black people? Like where, where do I start? So, um, and that's a great question. And I think what you guys uh, are doing, like now, like what what you guys have done, like for the last, well, the last what seven summers uh, you've been, where it's just like, okay, you recruit a person, and that person recruits another person, um, and so you can do that with, like, with starting with me. Um, I know a lot of uh, of black people that are like down for you know youth advocacy 
um, and down for that camp experience. Um, and that can create a chain. So I would say just continue to reach out to people um, of different, you know, you know, different uh, cultures and different, you know, races. Um, mm -hmm. And whether that's, the, you know, come out to Sacramento and, you know, uh, do a, uh, like a little announcement at, at a church or something, because um, my church is very diverse. Um, and right. they love, they love uh, you know, service and, you know, uh, love children and, you know, fellowship, the whole camp experience. Um, and so, yeah, just, I would say just reaching out to different people and continue to do that. Yeah, I mean, before all this COVID stuff and camp essentially being shut down, I, I had really made a connection with Pastor Bob. He came and spoke at um, our men's conference. Mm. And I really, what I need to do is reach out to him going into next summer and say, hey, is there any way I can get in front of your church or you know, encourage the black people that do go to your church to work at camp. I, I, I think that camp in different communities, it's not a common thing, you know, like we have very few Latino campers. And mm. if you talk to people in those communities, it's like, well, we didn't ever grow up going to camp. That doesn't, the, the mm. term camp doesn't even make sense. You know, like mm. you, you go and worship and, um, you and sing songs and playing games. Yeah, you go to the mountains. Yeah, it's, Zip line. <laughs> it's totally a foreign concept. And so I think a lot of people that we try and recruit, part of recruiting, part of getting a staff is explaining camp to people. And mm -hmm. usually the people that get it, like they're like, oh yeah, I, 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 could, I could do that. But certain people, it's just not even, it doesn't even register like, mm -hmm. And I and I've noticed that more in the black community as well. It's like not not many black people go to camp, you know, um, as as kids. It's very very like us a, a small. I was lucky to have like go to like go to like the youth camps, but it's a right. very small percent percentage of us. Like a lot of them don't even get to go get into that experience uh, that um, that kind of like camp um, like experience. Would you say that when you're at camp and there are black campers, would you say that they're instinctly, I think that's the right word, instinctly more drawn to you? Yes, a hundred, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's kind of like a, a, a magnet almost. Right. Um, I, it's, I hate that. Uh, there's two sides of it. I, I, I love that they're they're doing that, but I just don't like that they, you know, I'm the only person that they can kind of have that that trust with, that bond with. And I wish that they can do that with, you know, any race, whether that's, you know, you know, right. you or so like, yeah, I love that they're coming to me for, you know, advocacy and stuff like that and just like them, you know, um have a relationship with. But, you know, I kind of feel bad for the actual counselor like the actual counselor because like I, there was ha there's been times where there'd be like a, a black camper and um and say it's um donkey's cabin right and i'm i'm in uncle sam's cabin and you know i have my campers and then they come to me and they don't really get to have that same relationship with donkey and so they'll always kind of right. come to me and so 
part of me is like, yeah, I love that, that you know, they can come and trust, they trust me um, and we can build this relationship, but I also want them to have that same um, relationship with their actual camper. And that starts with, uh, that starts outside of the church as I mean, outside of the camp, um, right. you know, seeing yeah, different think, people. Yeah. I, well, I, I just think that it's, it's tough because you, you come into camp, you walk down that hill and you want to see people that look like you, especially first time campers, mm. you know? And when they see that junior staff sitting on the stage, that's of the same skin color or that, you know, counselor or support staff member that's of the same skin color. I think there's an immediate connection, you know, mm -hmm. that, and when you see your counselor and they're not of the same skin color, I could see there being a little bit of a distance and, and that's part, that's on the counselor to now, uh, you know, bridge that or bridge the gap. I don't know what the, the word is, but um, yeah. to, to find common ground and make a relationship. Mm -hmm. And, but I've always wondered if, if you ever felt that, cause I know campers feel that, but when, when you see a new set of campers, are you like, all right, I, I know I'm going to connect with that kid just purely because he's one of the few mm -hmm. black kids in that cabin. Um, yeah, I would say, um, yeah, I would kind of gravitate towards that camper, um, mainly because it's kind of like that odd fish out kind of a lot of it's, it's the camp is diverse. Um, but given that sure. I work a certain amount of weeks, right. I don't really get to see the diversity at times. Um, and so to kind of see like, oh, this kid looks just like me. Um, and I want that kid to kind of have that same faith that I have now and, you know, be successful and have that same relationship I have with God, like, like, you know, right now. And this is like, like the perfect opportunity. Um, and so like, I do kind of tend to gravitate towards uh, the campers of color. Um, because I can know I can make an impact in their life and relate with them. You said kind of fish out of water. Do you think that campers feel that? Do you think that that it's just something inside of them that if they're in a cabin full of mostly white kids, you think they feel like a fish out of water? Or do you think they feel normal? Um, well, a lot of the times it kind of depends. Um, at, it, for me, um, I never really had that, got to experience, so I'll see, uh, view a, a, a camper that uh, was like uh, one, one black kid and then the rest of the uh, cabin is white. I've had a lot of uh, campers where it's like an odd one out of the group, not necessarily based off of race, but basically right. something like... Um, some like what something that they like like hobbies or whatever it may be mm -hmm. um yeah and so i can see through their their conversations that based off of because they are different in that way um they are you know the conversation's a lot different um right. they can't relate with a lot of things that they relate um and say if a lot of the the the, the campers in that cabin are in the same are like know each other outside of outside of camp they've been to camp plenty of times and they're friends right. outside right but that black kid is just like i don't know these guys 
And so like, it's kind of, it's a, it's a lot more harder because one, you're not, you don't know these guys outside of camp. And then right. two, you're different because of the color of your skin. Um, and, and different life experiences kind of create this difference. Um, right. And so, yeah, um, it's kind of, it's really tough though. Um, and I, I really don't, um, I just don't like the, that's, that's where it's kind of the world we live in, where it's just kind of like that divide. Um, yeah, I mean, and I feel like camp, out of all places, does a really good job of, like, just every bringing, boundary bringing or wall, together. yeah, bringing yes. people together. I mean, that is what camp is for. And, and you know, I, I, it's not just race-related or, or color of your skin-related. It's like, like mm -hmm. you said, different hobbies. Right. You know, camp is a place where you're forced into this weird thing. Different walks of all, life, yes. Yeah. You're all stuck in this cabin together with this goofy counselor who's got a weird camp name, and <laughs> you're forced to figure it out. You're, mm -hmm. You know, it's like, exactly. I, I may not like what you do or, or who, you mm. know, the sports you play or the hobbies, but this week, let's all have fun together and let's mm -hmm. build this bond and relationship. And I feel like mm -hmm. camp does a really good job of right. breaking yeah. down any sort of walls um that there are i i i think I, I that's one of the reasons why i love camp um and there is a diversity not just in skin color but in personalities that show up to me um yeah. have you ever had like a race conversation with campers at camp like is that something that campers come to you and talk to you about or it hasn't been a conversation it has that last week um, with Dallas um, and Cameron, um, all those guys, I had a, a deep conversation with um, uh, just kind of like talking about like how, how that, how camp has kind of been for them since like, they're just like this group. Right. Um, and then how is that, how is it different from what you usually experience in life, right? Um, mm. We've kind of had like conversations just about like, I talk, I tell my story to them all the time. And I said, man, if, if it, you know, yes, you know, I did this, this and this, um, but it was, it just be like, and there's a lot of things that kind of are not privileged because of the color of my skin. Um, and because of that, I had to, I have to work you know, extra hard. And because of that, there's going to be a lot more oppositions, but because I had, you know, great faith and I was constantly in my Bible and I had a group of people, um, to kind of help me in that and kind of grow. Um, I was able to achieve these things. Um, and so that really related with them. Um, mm. and like, they were like, that was like the third day though. That I think was that gospel Wednesday's like gospel day. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was a third day. So we were already hitting, hitting them with heavy stuff. Right. And so I was like, Look, you know, um, this is like, life is going to be real. Um, and like, I had to keep it like really, really like, I've never really kind of like a lot of things I sugarcoat with a lot of campers, especially like, you know, um, the, you know, the younger ones or just like around different people. But I had to explain to them like, yo, I'm gonna keep it real with you guys. You know, it's not gonna be easy for us, right? Um, and so, and I told him like, you know, this is, 
this is like the perfect time, especially now, um, to kind of get with God and build your relationships and, you know, hold on, holding each other accountable. Right. Um, and you know, so, um, yeah, I've had, uh, uh, that conversation with that, that eight week, that week eight group. Um, did you feel like they responded well to it? It was good for them to hear. Yeah, they were, they're asking me a, a, a bit of questions. Um, and they were just like, you know, now we really, like as soon as I told them like and I didn't tell them what like any of my accomplishments until that day and they're like wait you got your associate's degree like what <laughs> um and so for them they're just like absolutely like they're listening because they're like well how do I do that and I was like yeah. it's it's just like you have to one be in the bible you know mm-hmm. and have that that group of people that can hold you accountable um, and that, that can kind of encourage you and be with you along this journey. Um, and so they responded very, very well to that. That's great, man. I, I didn't know you guys were having that conversation. I, I love that you had it and that those boys, I mean, those are some of my favorite campers. One, because they've been coming for six years. You know, I think I met Dallas when he was in fourth grade and Sean too. And um, Sean's sister, like they all were... Mm. I mean, little kids, you know, mm. and so for them to in in one of their final years be able to have those conversations, I love that that happened at camp, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, part of the reason why I wanted to bring you on is obviously talk about you and camp and catch up, um, but you know, you are a voice that people will listen to. Um, especially within the camp community and the very white camp community. Um, you're somebody people respect just in general for how young you are and how mature you are. There's a whole group of not only junior staff, but then counselors and support staff that you're a very beloved person. And the words that come out of your mouth are uh, there's truth and wisdom and people listen. Um, and this podcast is one way that I can get the word out is mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I see a lot of staff members posting things on social media and that's, that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad they're doing that. But I think one of the things I keep hearing or seeing in social media posts is like, I'm, I'm listening, you know, I'm here to learn and listen and okay. So what avenues are there outside of social media? This is an avenue, right. Um, mm-hmm. For people to learn and listen. Um, and so in some of the questions I sent you, one of the things I wanted to ask you was like, you're on social media, this George Floyd video comes out. I'm sure you've had these conversations about police brutality with your parents before. Um, Mm. what, what was that initial feeling that you had seeing that video for the first time, even before sort of the groundswell of things? I mean, there was already two things prior to that. Right. Mm. And this one sort of tipped the scales uh, what, what was your feeling how did you feel as a 18 year old black man who's a believer what what sort of emotions stirred up uh when i first saw that video um i was in disbelief i, I really thought the video was sent to me by a friend I was like, there's no, like, there's no way this is real. 
this is like that I was just in in like disbelief um and then I like the first like four minutes like of the video um I was just like no this is no this this didn't happen this didn't happen I didn't like I was really mm. like pretending I did not see this and so like I like played it back and then like as like the the seconds progress and he's continuing to have his knee on his neck like my anger like conti continues you know I yeah. am I'm like I'm just like at this point I'm just like super like angry at this point and it's like really late at night too and so like all my parents are like like my parents are asleep all the people in the house yeah. are like sleep and so I really wanted to just like kind of scream and like jump through that screen and do like and help him and because like and because right. i'm a, a christian that's like even more strong i'm like yo i've got like i want to like start flipping tables like you know like <laughs> jesus said right um and so like seeing that um was just like something i've never i've never seen like anything like that and so like even like that first day or two i was just still in disbelief and then I saw social media and I like continue to like look at it from different angles because I know like I'm going to have these like there's going to be people right that's going to have like these different perceptions of it. And I looked at it right. from different angles and I just like and it just made me even more and more upset. Um, and yeah, so that did was my initial reaction. Did you ever, I guess two questions. One, did you ever have these conversations with your parents prior to this? Was there ever a police brutality conversation. I mean, your dad's a pastor and mm -hmm. you guys live in Sacramento and which is a pretty diverse town in general. Um, mm -hmm. Were these conversations you had ever prior? I had a conversation um, with my dad um, when I, I got my, no, it wasn't. Cause I, I'm thinking he did tell me when I like got my, uh, my uh permit and i had like a car oh, uh, yeah and he was just like you know you're gonna be a target right you're you're gonna be uh, th this is like real like especially like specifically at 16 years old i remember him telling me like it's you're gonna have a target on your back and mm. there and you have to act a certain way don't reach for your, don't reach for your li license and rush, like, don't reach down at, you know, your glove department, uh, glove compartment, you know, show your hands at all times. And mm. at me, I'm like 16, I'm like, I didn't really get it. I didn't, I was just like, well, why? I'm, I'm just like everyone else, right? Uh, why, like, yeah. why do I have to act like differently? Um, and then I, like, from that moment, and he explained to me, and he showed, like, he, like, and over time, I got a chance to kind of see these things happen in social media. And I created this fear, right? At like, at 16 years old, 17 years old, I'm like creating, I have like this fear of the police. And I have members of my family that, you know, work in law enforcement, mm. right? And so every time I see a police kind of like drive by, right, I'm just kind of like, oh, you know, I have to like straighten up, you know, have like a good posture and make sure I'm like completely, you know, focused, you know, have my yeah. like head on a, a peripheral. Um, 
Um, but yeah, it was just like at an early, like at that age, I was just like really confused when he first told me that. And then I started to see, and that like, as the more and more, as I see these videos, um, of just like these altercations with black people and police, um, I start to kind of have this fear. Um, and like, I was just like, maybe it's cause you know, these guys are bigger and you know, you know, the guys are like older. And then I see like this, you know, the things with Tamir Rice and stuff like that. And so I'm like, mm-hmm. right. So, and that, that, that's a little kid. Um, and Trayvon Martin, the whole, like the, the guy's my age. Right. Um, and so yeah, at like the time you guys are probably the same age. Right. Yeah. So we're the, he was, when he got, when he got shot. Yeah. He was like 17, 17 years old. Um, okay. And so, yeah. Yeah. So kind of, I still kind of, you know, resonate with that now. Cause you know, it doesn't matter what age you are, you know, you're going to still have a target on your back. And so it's right. the question kind of is now at what, at what age do I turn from like this little kid, right. To a threat, you know, when um, is that for, you know, happen, you know, cause you know, you have your baby into middle school, and it's just like, so when, when, when are you a threat, right? Mm. Well, and, you know, for, for you, and obviously the conversation's going on right now, but I think people would need to know, like, it's a bummer that that conversation even needs to happen at 16, mm-hmm. you know? Like, that conversation is not happening with white dads to their white kids. Um, and that... That must have been, I mean, you said over time, you've, you figured it out why your dad had that conversation. But at first you're like, why are you telling me this? What do you know? And then the more you see on social media, the more that gets out there, the more you start to educate yourself on like, oh, wow. Like th- my dad is trying to protect me and he's, he's mm-hmm. trying to help me. Um, so fast forward, you know, you're an 18 year old man you've been driving for two years. This incident happens with George Floyd. What's the conversation with the parents now? By now they, they already expect to me for, for me to know. Um, and they're like, for me, my dad is constantly sending me like, you know, posts from different, like different perspectives. Um, and that's like one of the most important things to do when you see like these, see what see the different perspectives of things um before you kind of kind of build your anger off of this one thing because if you don't have the entire story if you don't have the entire history so he's telling me like he's showing me statistics you know um just like specific like news articles where this this and this happened like protest, videos of the protests and stuff like that, what they're actually protesting for, you know? Right. Um, and so um, he's, he's been, lately he's been just like, you shouldn't already know, you know, this shouldn't be like uh, something that's new to you. And they've been doing this, right? Um, You're right. And so right now he, he knows that I'm at that age where I'm, I, I'm already, I should already know and I should already be able to educate myself. But sometimes, you know, he, he's sending me these, uh, these, this, some research or some, some news articles, some similar um, occurrences. Um, 
but yeah, by now they already they know I like they know that I should already know that, and I and I and I know that I've got I've gotten to to really uh, know that um, over the years. So outside of that initial response that you had watching that video late at night, what has your feeling and response been since then? What what sort of has stirred up inside of you um, during these last 10, 11 days? So, um, like I said, when I first saw that uh, that video, it was uh, anger that built up, that was built up. Um, and then I was noticing within the first three to four days, that anger was becoming destructive, right? Mm. And then I took some time to kind of self-assess, like self-assess, um, and then I switched over to more of a constructive anger, where I can actually do something to kind of be a voice so this doesn't happen again. Um, and so I've been, uh, I've been to a prayer march um which with my uh church and other churches um and so i that's what kind of keeps that ang like that destructive anger away um is by getting kind of closer to the bible and closer you know to the church and kind of closer um to uh kind of god's principles because at times you know you mm. kind of that anger kind of gets away um and so I didn't, I tried my, like my best. I'm trying, I'm still trying my best to kind of, you know, kind of tie that, that destructive anger down and instead um, build um, up something different so it doesn't happen again. Um, and so, yeah, I went to a prayer march with my church, um, with the, the, uh, the chief police Han, uh, that, uh, that's the police chief out here in Sacramento. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, we had a whole bunch of officers that walked with us and we just prayed, we knelt down and we just prayed. Um, and I feel like that's what, that's what's most needed right now. A time for us to kind of come together and pray, speak on the issue and, you know, kind of solve it out that way and let go and let God essentially. Um, mm. And that's what I did. Um, it's kind of like tying that destructive anger down and letting go and letting God while still being a voice um, for like, for people. So I can tell you that, I mean, there's a small amount of people that listen to this podcast, I'd say mostly white. Mm -hmm. What, what, what do you want us to hear? What do you want us to um, know moving forward? Um, because the issue is bigger than just police brutality, right? It's, it's, you hear the term used a lot recently, systemic racism. Mm. You, you, you don't even know that you might be doing something racist and yet it just comes out of you. And it's like, I didn't even, where did that come from? You know? So talk, talk to us, talk, like what, what do you want us to know? What, what do you want to say? And then we could talk about action here in a minute, but you know, here's a, a chance for you to use your voice to just talk to 
a group of white people that genuinely love you um, and and believe in you and in ministry and um, but you know this is a this is an opportunity for for you to just share and and I I want to give you a, a moment to just talk to us. That's a a great question, um, and I kind of put it simply in with using the four of the five senses. Um, so you have, you know, hearing, seeing, touch or feeling. Um, uh, let's see. And then you have smell, right? I believe. Yeah. Um, and so um, then, so we have, so first thing is hearing. And this is, this podcast is a great start opening up a conversation from different social groups and races have to say right mm -hmm. kind of opening your ears and just taking note of what they have to say and with that you just can't you know um you can't just uh just hear you have to feel what they're saying can't just be a robot like yep okay i understand you yeah i understand what you mean yes it you have to actually fill them um and kind of relate with them and kind of find, finding common ground in that sense um and from there you have to speak about it um uh essentially um you oh sorry yes you have to speak about it so when it's when these issues occur and you see that um, and you've gathered all this information from these conversations, right, you have to kind of acknowledge that um, and apply that in, in the audience that you, let me, let me say this. When you speak, you kind of are taking that knowledge that you've gotten from those conversations and speaking to your audience, speaking to your white friends, um, whoever it may be, whether they want to, to listen or, or, or hear, you just speak it out anyway. Um, and right. from there, you kind of uh, have to, it's, a, it's a, a very, very risky thing because you're going to lose a lot. It's going to make, it's going to make people uh, uncomfortable and, and by um by doing that you're kind of going to you know lose a lot of people you're going to you know uh kind of make people very very uncomfortable but you're only the you have to kind of stay motivated and stay consistent because you have to know um the mission of the goal is to kind of end this gap you know and end this divide and so that's what's going to keep you um, to together um, is by kind of shifting shifting people's you know comfortability because people people have, uh, are are super comfortable right where they are they're like well it doesn't affect me right but mm -hmm. since you know that person that advocate for change right since you know and you've been in those conversations you've gotten to to hear them, you've got to feel them. Now it's your time to tell people, hey, this issue is going on. And because um, you're so comfortable, because they're so comfortable, they don't want to change. So you have to speak and encourage them to change, educate them, 
um, to, uh, to kind of change. And from there, you kind of, uh, that's an action of kind of going out and, and, um, and doing that. Uh, so that's kind of, so you have your, your hearing, um, your feeling, um, you also want to see uh, what's going on, see the issues, uh, you know, whether that's educating for yourself um, and, you know, reading a book, uh, a new, uh, a good book is um, The New Jim Crow. There's another book um, uh, on, I think it's like, uh, it, it talks about colorblindness in, in the Christian community. Um, and so uh, it's, a, it's a very strong book. Um, whether it's, you know, watching the 13th on, on Netflix, to also another, uh, great book that talks about systemic racism. So seeing, and then actually speaking out about it, um, and kind of creating that change. And if you continue to have these open conversations and getting out of your comfort zone, um, and acknowledging what's happening, you can create change that way. Hmm. Um, and so, um, I feel like that's the best thing for, for white people to do in this time is to kind of open these conversations up and, you know, um, creating these relationships and kind of encouraging others to do the same kind of like a chain effect, domino effect. Right. And, uh, using the four senses that you were talking about, that that's good. I think that gives it a tangible thing for white people to kind of, okay, am I, am I hearing, am I seeing, am I feeling, am I, am I listening, am I speaking, you know, like all of that is really helpful. Um, mm -hmm. I think giving it, uh, you know, using what you're saying and then putting it in an analogy with the senses is good for people. Um, good for me to hear too. Uh, what, um, as far as sort of, I guess, speaking, but more so action steps doing, what, um, what are action steps that you find helpful that you've seen people do, or you're like, Hey, th this is something that you can really simply do that is genuinely helpful. Um, I think one thing that I've seen is, uh, you've con, uh, I've seen people constantly post on Instagram, um, kind of ways to donate, um, different cases that, uh, that have like the, <laughs> this, uh, different cases that have the, uh, similar outcome, um, and like people, uh, going to protests, peaceful protests, um, uh, people going to these protests, um, and kind of, uh, being, uh, being there as a, you know, an advocate for their community. Um, mm. and so being at the protest, educating other people, um, mm. uh, and kind of having these conversations, uh, with other people within their their social group um and then also um i've seen a lot of people kind of read up um and reading you know books they really wouldn't consider reading um and so 
those um, watching, uh, you know, Netflix documentaries and so like that. And so there's there's a lot of things that you that I've seen of people doing, um, and they've they've kind of uh, created a lot of they always revolve around creating conversations and creating relationships. So there isn't a divide. Do you feel like, and I'll try and phrase this as best as possible. Let's say I go online and and I I donate somewhere. Maybe I watch, you know, Just Mercy or Thirteenth. Um, I'm at a protest or I I post a, a a black image on my Instagram. Are these things? Do you ever think that are these things that just make white pe people feel better about themselves, or do you really believe? with this George Floyd thing, there's a genuine change in people and that it's not just, oh, I'm just doing this to feel good about myself. It's like, I'm doing this because I genuinely want to see and am and now becoming an advocate for change. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I, there's a lot of people, there, uh, there's kind of like two people that I've noticed um, and those are like the, the person that kind of only did Blackout Tuesday because of their friend did it. Um, and and right. prior prior to that Tuesday, um, and even after, they haven't posted anything. They don't have they don't have a donation like the donation link in their bio. They they don't say donate now. They don't show other cases of like the similar instances um, with the same outcome. They don't, they don't show that. Um, a lot of people, they've kind of come to me and had these conversations. Those people that, that, that posted it on that one day, they, don't, they didn't come to have those conversations. They didn't actually take an action to have these conversations. Right. A lot of times you don't really get to see that um, because if they didn't get those conversations with you, you wouldn't know. Um, but there's a lot of people that are just kind of posting it because their friends doing it and they don't want to be called a, you know, a racist, which a term that's kind of get thrown, uh, throws out a lot, but they don't want to get called a racist or they feel like a person that's not compassionate about the movement or they think that that, that person just kind of like didn't care. They showed no emotion when they saw the video. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so there's like those two different type of people. And then there's those, that, that person that, um, that does genuinely care, um, and that is constantly trying to, uh, have these conversations and kind of, um, although they may be uncomfortable, um, they, they'll go out and have these conversations. Uh, you right now, you're having this conversation, uh, you know, with me, right? Um, and there's a lot of people that I've seen kind of doing, even though the guys have, you know, been charged, there's people that have, you know, continue to post and show justice, you know, for, for you know, Brianna Taylor, or whoever it may be, um, uh, for the movement and kind of like people, and I've seen that uh, frequently. Yeah, so you cut out a little bit there at the end, but what you're, I think what you were saying, you were talking about, I think Brianna Taylor, Ahmad Arbery, 
can you repeat that last part? Uh, uh about the uh, about uh what part again? You were saying that I think it's uncomfortable for people to talk about, but just having the conversations is good. And then you cut out right at the very end. I think what you were trying to just say was, it's not just watch these videos or see these videos, but it's actually talk about them, begin the conversation. Is that sort of what you were saying at the end? Yeah, that's, that's what I was saying. I was kind of saying like these conversations kind of, kind of define how much passion you kind of have for that, the movement um, mm. and kind of change. Um, and if you're just kind of just sitting at home and just, you know, you know, posting that that one day and then just kind of, you know, post every other day about, you know, what's going on or just kind of like justice, you know, uh, or Black Lives Matter and then not kind of doing anything. Cause not, that's not the point of the movement. Not, the, the point of the movement isn't just for you to sit home and kind of just say Black Lives Matter and repost that. That's not the movement. Right. The movement is kind of going out and doing something. It's one thing mm -hmm. to kind of point it out, but then to actually go into action and, you know, be the change, right? That's right. a completely, completely different thing. Um, and so... That, that point right there is, I think, super huge and, and has been something that I haven't been able to quite pinpoint my feeling on it, but it, it, it's not, social media is so powerful, right? Mm. Um, but it's not just post this social media thing. It's not just, you know, post these facts about whatever statistic there is about racism. It, 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 their action is huge, but like you said, action can be in so many different forms it can be just simply hearing it can be speaking it can be feeling you know i th i think the people that are posting things that say like listening and learning mm. i think right now like it's so important to to listen you know mm. um and obviously action by having the conversations um is key by educating you know this isn't something that tomorrow is just going to change i i think mm. these are things that are going to have to be passed down to my kids to my kids kids mm -hmm. um but that type of conversation doesn't start without listening without um you know having this these initial conversations I think it goes beyond social media for sure. And I think what you just said is super important. Um, it, I, I guess we'll, we'll sort of end with this and then we can uh, do five minutes on Kings basketball. Um, <laughs> um, I, I have seen a lot of people say donating is, is a really big deal. And I, I think there are some really great things out there you know the covenant church has really put together a good informative website of here's some different things you can donate to I, i've really liked i'm sure you've seen that campaign zero stuff yeah um i think that's a website worth checking out for people um action steps 
like a real tangible walk away from this podcast? What's one thing you you feel like white people could could just do? And if it's simply listening, that's great. Like get, give give one thing you're like donate here or do this or say this. Like what is one tangible thing? I would say one thing is listening and listening is a, a great, great step. And that's one of the first steps. Um, and listening starts kind of with educating yourself and hearing conversations. Um, and when you educate yourself, listen from different perspectives and different viewpoints. Mm-hmm. So say if you know, whether it doesn't matter what party you are, school of thought you have, listen from those, like those different perspectives and kind of seek that truth in that way. And then also listen to the, listen to the oppressed, who the, the actual people are going through it, but they are people that are going through it. Um, and they can share their life experiences to kind of create, you know, these, uh, this common ground or kind of, so you can relate with um, in a way and you can, educate yourself in that way. So I definitely think um, those two things are super important, um, listening and educating yourself. Um, and uh, yeah, so that, that would be one thing I would say. That's huge. One takeaway, if you, uh, uh, this podcast, yeah, that, that's huge. I, I think, for people to just hear that, those two things, it, instead yeah. of, uh, yeah, you know, just post post on social media or, or you know attend this rally. I, I think that's great. But what you just said is huge. Listen and educate yourself, and don't do that just for the day. You know, mm-hmm. that's a that's an ongoing thing. That should be a lifetime thing of. I'm going to continue to listen and I'm going to continue to educate. And I, th- I think that's huge. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Any, anything else um, you want to get out there to the, to people listening? Keep, keep the Bible close while doing it. Can't do anything without the word. So I would say keep good, keep God close while doing it. Um, and have a, a, a group of people or an audience with you. So when you do um, listen and educate, they, they'll be there listening and it creates a domino effect. That's great. But, yeah. Now, let's talk uh, about <laughs> hey, man, we got a chance at the playoffs. Right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. I don't think I've ever told you this, but I'm not a Kings fan. I'm assuming you're a Lakers fan. Clippers. You know what? I think I knew that. I knew that you are a Clippers <laughs> fan. And this was pre-Kawhi, right? Yes, since 09. So, like, uh, Lob City, like, you, yes. you went through that whole era. So, yes. you, must hate, you must hate the Warriors, too, then. I hate the Warriors. I hate the Rockets. They have just I, I been, hate the Warriors. <laughs> man, they're, they're terrible, man. They have... Especially this, well, this, I mean, this year they've been a, a terrible, terrible, but right. they've been knocking my Clippers out for, from the seeing the Western Conference Finals year after year. 
you know, you kind of have this kind of build this hate for them. Um, but you know, love them anyway. <laughs> Who's uh favorite favorite Clipper of all time? Well, yeah, just since '09. Who's been your guy? Blake Griffin. I've been a I've been a day one Blake Griffin guy since '09. What about Sweet Lou? I mean, he kind of just got onto the squad, which is kind of like he. I think of him like a baby Jamal uh, Crawford, kind of. Their game yeah. is very similar. Um, Are you uh, a Patrick Williams or Patrick Beverly guy? Oh, hundred percent. I love the guy. He and that and that Christmas game where he blocked LeBron and it got like oh, LeBron yeah. touched <laughs> somehow. I was on. I was and I put I put in so many like um like so many. I was like like unlike money like I didn't put any money in it, but I made the bet like, yo, we are going to win this. Like we're gonna win this game, and I promise you. Given that like my dad and then like two other people in my family are like um Kings fans. The rest of my family are Lakers mm-hmm. fans. And that Christmas day we have the entire family there. They are dripped down in Laker gear. Um and I have my you know my clippers shirt on and they're like, man, there's no way. LeBron's the GOAT. And you know they and they're gonna take this win. It didn't happen. Okay. Um and so but yeah hopefully something uh something exciting happens for the Kings uh, this playoffs. Hey, I, I hope so too. Hey, Kings, uh, I think they went one and one against the Clippers this year. They, they beat, they lost to the Clippers uh, at home in Sacramento and then they beat them in LA. So I remember that man. Oh man. I uh, get a lot of uh, comments about that. (laughs) I was proud to be a Kings fan on Saturday. It was cool to see Harrison Barnes, mm. uh, Kyle Guy, Bogey, uh, Vivek, the owner. Yeah. And I think even Matt Barnes, who played for the Kings for a hot mm-hmm. minute, was there too. It's cool when, you know, the Kings basketball means a lot to the city. Um, it did to me as a kid. And to see them out there being advocates for change and Barnes is a relatively new guy. Like he, for me, I was like, I just feel, I, I love that he embraced the city. I remember even a couple years ago, I think there was another police brutality thing in the Kings yes. and the, uh, in the Bucks. Stephon Clark. Yeah. Yeah. And the Kings responded really well to it. Um, and it, it made me proud to be a Kings fan that they, you know, they're already a pretty culturally diverse organization. Bobby Jackson's in there, who, who is an advocate for a lot of that stuff. Um, so I, I'm, I'm proud to be a Kings fan from a social justice standpoint. From a basketball standpoint, it's been just torture for years and years and years. So <laughs> I, I'm Man, sure you can relate as a Clippers I would say fan, though. It has been torture, and I think we can both – so I think we've had those teams. So I say that old, I think it was the 03, 02 team um, that was like, that went to the playoffs. And then I would say with the Clippers, that 2014, 2015 year, I say we are the, 
the greatest team to never win a championship. Like, you guys had a real shot. And, like, you guys had some ballers, you know? Like, we got, you just had Mike Bibby at the time, right? Mm -hmm. Or Mike Yeah, Bibby, that was the Bibby, Weber. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, y'all were going crazy. Um, and I'm 14, – 14, 15 was – that was the year that Clippers went to the Western Conference Finals against yeah. uh, Golden State, right? That was Golden State's yeah. first title. Yes. And, yeah, that was uh, a heartbreaker. Really, really, really was. Oh, man. Oh, you gonna you, you trying to make me cry in this podcast. I'm <laughs> just trying to – man. No, that, that was a heartbreaker. We're gonna uh, get get the uh, the championship this year. I, I actually am a part. I am a uh, have a really, you know, uh, like a part of my heart for the Kings, um, given that I'm a Sacramento native, um, and like so, and always watching them play, um, and so I really wish you guys the best in this. In this I playoffs, I uh, <laughs> uh, this. All I want to do is just make the playoffs. I, I wish you the best with the Clippers actually winning something, mm -hmm. you know, for their fans. I'm a Paul George guy. He's Fresno yeah. State, and I lived in Fresno, and he he, he means a lot to that city. Um, so I, I do wish you the best. I think that uh, it'll be really interesting down the stretch, and we can, we can text back and forth after this whole mm -hmm. Disney World experience is over. Yes. <laughs> Hey, man, I, I appreciate you getting on the podcast. I know we talked for a while. I hope that people listening uh, got something out of this and that they can listen and educate themselves. And, you know, you're loved in the camp community. And, and I can't wait to, you know, once camp opens back up again, can't wait to have you on staff and, and have you be an advocate for the black community, but also be an advocate for change within the camp community too. So, uh Thanks again, man. I, I really appreciate it. And thanks for the time. Yeah, no problem. All right, Cinnamon, we'll talk soon, okay? All right, will do. All right, see you, buddy. All right. Hello, Mr. Bear. I didn't see you coming. I was way too busy strumming my guitar.